guys. So go ahead and take your Bible and <clears throat> open to Daniel chapter 8, the Old Testament book of Daniel, the 8th chapter. So we took a week off last week for Independence Day weekend. So we come back today just to sort of picking up where we left off. We were in chapter 7 last time, chapter 8 today, and we're in the second half of the book. Just, um, if you haven't been here or not totally familiar with the book of Daniel, the first, it's 12 chapters, the first half of the book, the first six chapters are um, some of the most exciting stories you'll read. I mean, just, just story after story after story, just narrative telling you about the life of Daniel and his three friends uh, in captivity in, in Babylon, and then later under the Persians, um, just just exciting stories, and then you come to chapter 7 in the second half of the book, and it feels completely different. It moves from narrative stories about the life of Daniel to what feels like the book of Revelation. I mean, it's visions and vivid visions of, of beasts and, and all sorts of uh, imagery, different image, imagery. Um, but I want to say that as, as much as it sounds like Revelation and feels like revelation don't think that the message of daniel changed with the changing of the tone i mean the, the message throughout daniel is is the same and i'm gonna try to show that as we move through it and in fact the way it really works is daniel goes through so much hardship in the in the first half of the book in the the aim of the second half in some ways is trying to get behind the scenes and explain why why uh, all the hardship that's in the world. So that's, that's kind of how it's all fitting together. Um, but for now, in Daniel 8, we've seen example after example after example uh, in Daniel's life of God's faithfulness to him. Uh, we'll see that again today in the, in the different things he faced. But what we want to add to that today, I think is part of the message of chapter 8, is, is Daniel staying faithful to God. So sort of summarize it as faithfully facing the future. If you grew up in church, <clears throat> like I did, um, you hear lots of different quippy, cliche kind of phrases, Christian phrases. They're not wrong, they're sort of cliche, but there's one that I've heard all my life that you've probably heard before. I don't know what the future holds, but what's the rest of it? I know who holds the future, how quaint. Um... I mean, it's true, right? It's true. We're, we're really good with coming up with quippy phrases. I don't know who, what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I mean, honestly, it's a biblical truth. Um, and in fact, Daniel 8, that we're going to read in just a second, is a, a perfect example of the truth behind that cliche phrase. In fact, it actually teaches one better. The cliche says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Daniel 8 actually going to teach that even if we do know what the future holds, even if, if it's totally spelled out to us, and even if it spells out utter disaster um, and hardship, we can still walk faithfully with God in it because we know who holds that future, and, and he holds us too as we walk through it. So let's read the chapter, and then we'll dive into it. So here we go, Daniel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. 
In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. After that, which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns. Both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat. So here's going to, the Bible's going to tell us who the goat is. Came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the, great, then the goat became exceedingly great, But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as, even as great as the prince of the, of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, Uli, and it called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, and he touched me and made me stand up. 
He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others rose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, who, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings has been told that has been told is true but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now and I Daniel was overcome and I lay sick for some days then I rose and went about the king's business but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it our father and our God this is your holy inspired and errant and authoritative word I pray that we would see it for what it is I pray that we would not merely gravitate toward those places in Scripture that are easier for us to understand. Uh, I pray that we would not prefer, um, you know, John or other, other holy inspired places of the Scripture that are just easy to read and easy to grasp to the neglect of the more difficult passages that the same passages are inspired by the same Holy Spirit that if digging and studying a little bit can yield great reward. So I pray that uh, you would give me grace to teach, give us all ears to hear, guard me from error, help me to speak only what is true and helpful in a way that is helpful, and give us minds to understand the truth here, give us hearts to embrace the truth and love it, give us wills to obey pray that you would be glorified through the proclamation of your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to think about faithfully facing the future, and I just want to notice three things. There's plenty that you could get out of this chapter, but I want to focus on three things that hopefully will be helpful to us. The first being, I want to just think about this vision that Daniel got. I think it's really related in the first um, half of the chapter, 14 verses or so. And, and if, you, if you've been here, a vision is nothing new. I mean, Daniel hasn't been the only one that's received them, but Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and Belshazzar saw dreams, Daniel's had visions. And so here's another one, another vision that's given into the future, and it's an ominous vision, to say the least. But then second, I want us to notice Daniel's comfort and just see perhaps what was the most comforting aspect of this, this frightening vision that he was given. If we look at it carefully, I think we might see what was comforting to him, and then finally his response. How did Daniel respond um, when he was given a vision of the future 
uh, and he knew there was incredible difficulty right on the horizon. What did he do? So these are the things that I want us to see in the passage and sort of hopefully try to apply to our own day and time. So let's think first about the vision. All right. Uh, So just looking back at the first half of the chapter, he's given a a vision from the Lord, and then it's immediately followed by the interpretation of that vision. That's the pattern we see here. Vision, then meaning. The vision's told to us in verses 1 through 14. So what does he see? Well, on the surface, it's weird. (laughs) It's just a weird vision. I mean, what does he see? Well, he sees a ram with two horns. And it was... One of the horns was bigger than the other one, and it was more powerful than anything around it until a goat comes along. (laughs) And apparently not any ordinary goat, uh, but it had a huge horn, a very conspicuous one between his eyes. Uh, And, of course, he, he, as goats tend to do, right, killed and trampled the ram. And that goat became more and more and more and more powerful, um, in his in power and but at at the height of his power he dies he dies one horn that conspicuous one was divided into four horns and out of those four horns one of those horns became really 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 bad and evil and it was incredibly bad and evil it was hostile not just to men it was hostile to god and it persecuted the people of god mercilessly and it would do so for a specific period of time. That's the vision. Rams and goats and horns. So, um, piece of cake to figure out, right? Or no. Um, but Daniel saw it, and he, and, it, and he says in verse 15, I didn't, I didn't have any idea what, what it meant. He said, I sought to understand it. Um, he, did, he didn't have any idea what this was supposed to mean. And so beginning in verse 16, the angel Gabriel began explaining the meaning to him. Now, this is just an example, too, of... Uh, I, I just noticed that when Gabriel appears to Daniel, what does Daniel do? He's scared to death, and he falls on his face. That's exactly what they do in the New Testament whenever an angel appears. I mean, they, 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 they are scared to death. And I always, it always makes me think, if angels are this frighteningly brilliant, what must, it, what must it be to be in the presence of God, you know? Anyway, Gabriel starts to explain the meaning of the vision to him. And if you were here last time in chapter 7, and the vision that was given there, uh, this time is a lot different than that time. If you'll remember back, when Daniel was given a, a uh, vision in chapter 7, that troubled him, that bothered him, and he wanted to know what it meant, and he cried out to God, tell me what it means. It's like he's given an interpretation of the vision that doesn't tell him anything. Like he gives him an explanation of the vision that doesn't explain anything. He's not given any more detail in chapter 7 after the explanation than he had before it. He's still in the dark. But this time, when he asks for for, uh, the meaning of the vision, Gabriel comes, and he flat out, in detail tells him what it was about, right? And, and, and the, in fact, the interpretation is so much more specific that on this side of history, looking back on what actually took place in time and in history, you can look back, I think, with a fair amount of certainty and see what this was actually describing. 
and that it actually took place and that it happened just as God said it would. So let's, to see that, let's go back and look at the vision and, and through, the, through the lens of time past. So go back. So verse 1 uh, tells us that Daniel received this vision in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. So, if you've been here, you might realize that we're kind of going back in time a little bit. Because uh, the last we ever heard of Belshazzar was back in chapter 5. And, I mean, in fact, Belshazzar died at the end of chapter 5. So now, in chapter 8, we're back during the time when Belshazzar was king. So we're going back to before the events of chapter 5. But as he, re- so he's, as he receives the vision during the time of King Belshazzar, according to verse 1, he tells us in verse 2 that I, when I saw in the vision, when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital. Well, wait a minute. He received this vision while Belshazzar was king. Belshazzar was a Babylonian king. And the capital of the Babylonian kingdom was Babylon. (laughs) That's called the Babylonian kingdom. The capital was Babylon, right? So if if he received this vision in Babylon, in the capital of the Babylonian kingdom under Belshazzar, when he receives this, why does he say that he was in the capital city of Susa? If Susa was not the capital, if Babylon was capital. What is this all about? Well, Susa was the capital city of another empire, the Persian Empire, right? Which, in a short amount of time, was to overtake the Babylonians. And and Daniel is receiving a vision ahead of time as if he is already a servant in the next kingdom. Not in Babylon, but in Susa, right? So there he is. And he sees the, the, the ram with two horns, and one was bigger than the other. What's going on with that? Well, knowing he's already in the capital city of the Persian Empire, that might be a clue. And sure enough, when Gabriel gives the interpretation of this ram and its two horns, he says in verse 20 that the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. That's who they are. Well, the... The, the Persians eventually overtook the Medes, and so it was the bigger of the two horns, but they collectively defeated the Babylonians and overtook their vast territory and, and took into captivity all their people. They were incredibly powerful, and it was in the Persians, Persian king's palace that, that Daniel began serving even as an old man in chapter 6 under Darius. So the Persians were incredibly dominant as an empire. They were the the ram that he saw. And for for a time, it seemed like they ruled much of the world until the goat came along. Who's the goat? What's up with that? Well, the, the vision said that the goat had one giant horn. Who is it? Well, Gabriel says in verse 21 that the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Well, from this side of history, this is clearly a picture of Alexander the Great. 
who was the king of Greece. Alexander the Great was the one who defeated the Persians and overtook their territory. And the vision Daniel received said that he was exceedingly great. And militarily, he was. He was, he was very young, right? But conquered e- even more than the per- Babylonians and the Persians before them. It, he conquered more than anybody that had ever come before him. In fact, Alexander the Great conquered territory that was so vast that he, at a point in time, ruled over what would be modern day Greece, Bulgaria, Turkey, Syria, Israel, Jordan, part of Libya, part of Egypt, Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and part of India. That was Alexander the Great's territory, and he died when he was only 33 years old. 33. I'm older than him. He died at the height of his power, right? Just like the vision said. But because he died on the, on the battlefield and died so suddenly, he didn't name an heir to his throne. I mean, this is historically documented. The kingdom is to him who can take it. He didn't name an heir to his, his kingdom. And so his kingdom, all that territory that I just described, all that was divided up between his four generals. Remember? Vision says that this one horn that the that the goat had is divided up into four. Well, Alexander divides up his kingdom between his four generals. That's one horn turning into four. And out of that setup, a descendant. Remember this: out of those four came a little horn, <laughs> which grew exceedingly great. Out of that setup, a descendant of one of those generals came to rule over Jerusalem and the territory of Israel. And his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus. It looks like Antioch with the U.S. on the end. Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, he lived 150 to 200 years before Christ. 150 to 200 years before Christ. And the vision says in verse 9, and he would he would attack what it calls the glorious land. I mean, I take that to be Israel and Jerusalem, the glorious land, meaning that he would set himself up against God himself. In fact, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. That's where we get the word epiphany, right? And his nickname was a... It was rather haughty. Like he... His nickname was Antiochus Epiphanes. Like he himself is an epiphany. Like he, he's a revelation. I'm a, I'm, I'm a revelation. Like he, he was so proud that his nickname kind of took on the sense of he is God made manifest. Like he is God. I mean, that was the pride that he had. The vision says in verse 11 that the regular burnt offering. Yep, there it is. The regular burnt offering would be taken away. And the sanctuary would be overthrown. Hmm. Well, we know from history, from what happened during the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes in Jerusalem, that he outlawed the Jews from offering sacrifices. And that he even desecrated the altar 
in the temple by sacrificing a pig on it. And, he, and in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, uh, Antiochus set up a tribute to the Greek god Zeus. And he was godless, and he persecuted the Jews mercilessly. So this was the vision <laughs> that Daniel was given. He, he knows it's a vision about, about what's to happen to him and his, his people. He would not live long enough, obviously, to see all of this happen to himself, but it would begin during his own lifetime. And here, sitting 2,500 years later, um, it may not seem serious. You know, that's because we haven't ever lived through anything hardly. You know, but the la- to, to give you a, a bit of the gravity of what it would have felt like to Daniel, um, he, look at what he says at the, in the last verse of the chapter, verse 27. He says, I, Daniel, I was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. That, the future that was shown to Daniel in that vision, in very precise detail, scared him sick. Scared him sick. And that, that's often exactly how our, our attitudes about what we think are when we think about the future that might be coming in any number of levels in our life. I mean, we get worried sick over the thought that something might happen or not happen. Little things. We get worried sick that, at the thought that something might or might not happen that never does, never does actually turn out like you thought it might turn out. But you get worried sick anyway. So what we're about to see is how a man of God, Daniel, even when he sees a definite future and a dire one at that, finds comfort. I mean, he was scared sick at this sight. And I want us to consider what possibly could have given him comfort in circumstance like this. So let's think about Daniel's comfort quickly. What possibly would have given Daniel comfort after such a revelation? Well, I can't point to one particular verse in the chapter to say what, it, what exactly it was that might have given Daniel comfort. Because he just receives an appalling vision, and then the interpretation of that vision that was given to him was even more dire. I mean, I guess rams and goats are scary in and of themselves, but when you put names to them, they get a little more real. I can't point to one verse in the chapter that says what his, his comfort was, but my, my best guess is what's looking at us right in the face. Uh, the big picture of what's going on here. And it's, 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 it's in line with all that we've seen so far in Daniel. And we'll see to the end. What is the obvious big picture that's going on here? The obvious thing is he is receiving a vision of exactly what's going to happen in the future. Daniel, Daniel knows exactly how things that haven't yet happened will happen, will play out. And why would that be comforting to him because God is the one telling him these things. God is the one telling him. God is the one that's going to bring it all about. Again, that's why it's consistent with what we've seen. The, the constant drumbeat of Daniel from beginning to end is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. We, we saw that in Daniel 4. And, and Brother Al preached on Daniel 4 just last Sunday. 
and the, and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was given. And three times, three times in Daniel 4, God told Nebuchadnezzar what he was about to do to him so that, so that all may know that the Most High rules the affairs of men. God is sovereign. That's the whole point of the book of Daniel. And that's what's comforting to him here. It's not like Satan is telling him these things are going to happen. God is telling him these things are going to happen. And he can tell that, but he can tell him that because God is the one bringing it about. He's sovereign. Daniel knew that God had said through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 46, that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So Daniel received that very, very specific vision of the future. And he could literally say, I know what the future holds. And I know who holds the future. Because I know who holds the future. But knowing the future wasn't the, the comforting part. Um, by the way, we wrongly think that it would be. Like, there, there's always unknowns ahead of us. And there's always unknowns that would cause us to worry about this or worry about that or be anxious about this or be anxious about that. And we just, we just want to know how it's going to turn out. We just want, I just want to know. I think that if we knew, it would scare us to death. I mean, it did Daniel. Daniel was a godly man, and when it was told him, he was overcome and lay sick in his bed for days. It's a mercy that God doesn't tell us everything. We sit there and are anxious and are worried about unknown futures in our lives. That's not God withholding grace. That's God giving us grace. We shouldn't stress because we don't know how something is going to turn out. We, just like Daniel, knows the, know the one who's holding and guiding the future. And even if it should bring about something difficult, as it did in Daniel's case, we can trust the goodness and the provision of God to us in the midst of it. It, it may take a special measure of God's grace in our lives to bring us to that point than it did for Daniel because Daniel had already walked through fires and slept with lions, you know, and God was there by his side. He had already repeatedly experienced this kind of thing. I mean, his whole life had been nothing but difficulty and hardship from the time he was a young teenager, and here he was an old man. But he knew that God had always provided exactly what he needed, exactly when he needed it. And so even when he saw the vision, it says he was overcome and lay sick for days. That's not where he stayed. He didn't dis totally despair. What did he do? How did he respond? Again, look at the last verse in verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. He still had questions. I mean, he didn't 
question in a way that impugned God's character or God's goodness. He took comfort in the fact that God was sovereign over these things. He took comfort in the fact that God was good. But yet it was still an awful thing going to happen. Even though he he knew what was going to happen and who was bringing it about, it still doesn't mean he understood why. But yet, yes, he was overcome. Yes, he laid sick for days. Yes, he was appalled by it. He still didn't understand it. But what did he do? He rose up and went about the king's business. He carried on. He went on doing what he knew was right in the right now. He he went on being faithful in the place where God had put him right then and there, knowing that God would take care of all the other details. And that made made me think of what the Apostle Peter said when Peter described something much worse than this vision ever described. Peter talked about, in 2 Peter 3, talked about when Christ returns and And the heavens and the earth melt away with fire. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness in the meantime? What sort of people should we be in lives of holiness and godliness? Serious people. Dedicated people. We're to carry on and be faithful as we've been called, and we can do that because even if we don't know what the future holds, which in view of Daniel's vision is probably better that we don't know it, we know who holds the future, and he's good. He's good. One of the greatest promises in the Bible is Romans eight twenty eight says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose that is a promise that we can carry into every situation we face because it says that all things work together for good not some things not most things all things all things good and bad alike and it's a promise made to those who love God and are called according to his purpose and if you have come to Jesus and you love Jesus that is a promise to you Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for <clears throat> these, these events in the, in the life of Daniel and the visions that you've given, you gave to him of the future to come. This one, Father, is especially, it is especially, I guess, encouraging to us at this place in history and also... rebuking to us, perhaps. It's encouraging because these are specific details of the future that was given to Daniel far ahead of time. And we are far enough in the future that we can literally see how those prophesied details came to pass and unfolded just as it was said in Daniel's future.